0: Let's just, uh, let's get rolling. Uh, welcome to Call and Shots, folks. Uh, so the folks who are listening live or after the fact, I am joined today by my friend, uh, colleague at the Athletic, Celtics beat writer Jared Weiss. Jared, how are you doing today?
1: Phenomenal. It's pouring rain in Boston, just like it's like the Celtics offense right now. It's just completely miserable.
0: Uh, I, I would not say the Celtics offense was making it rain.
1: <laughs> no, that's why I said it's completely miserable afterwards, since I realized yeah. that. <laughs> Metaphor failed, but I yeah. assume we're going to talk about that.
0: I, I well, I think so. Um, it's uh, for for your edification. It's uh, about seventy eight and sunny with a light breeze in Milwaukee right now.
1: So I I got to say, after being out there for the uh, playoffs, Milwaukee during the summer is gorgeous. Like the last the last day after the series is over, I went down by the museum. Well, yeah, ate at whatever that nice restaurant is out on the pier. It was spectacular.
0: Uh, for the, for the, aside from like the week and a half where it's like 80% humidity, it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the reason we did not, uh, we did not, uh, get, get you on this call to talk about, uh, the Milwaukee weather or dining scene, but yeah, obviously, uh, and, and it's a good topic. I mean, Milwaukee's <laughs> wonderful. Everyone should come. Um, what does it talk to you to get sort of the, the Celtics perspective on, on the finals, both kind of your, yours as a, you know, very close observer of the team and sort of what you've been able to glean from the team afterwards. And if there's any points where your analysis and theirs kind of differs. So let's, let's start. Um, I just, let's start with what you saw like in, in over the course of the finals and even over the course of the playoffs that was good and ultimately bad.
1: Sure. I mean, the funny thing is all their postmortem quotes were basically, it's not like they were just kind of reading our articles from like Jay and I at the athletic basically. Um, So, you know, I think maybe they're maybe either we're good analysts or the issues are obvious. I, I would probably defer to the latter, but I mean, this team it just very obviously has a playmaking issue where the, their two best players are still too young to be ready to be elite playmakers all the way through a playoff run. And obviously Steph Curry isn't, and that's what they ran into in the end. And their offense just bogged down in stagnation so many times, especially during the finals. And I think just that Golden State was the first team they faced that was just good enough that they – that was so good that the just could not overcome their big swaths of stagnation in order to actually pull off wins. in the end. Golden State was too good, too consistent. Defense is too smart. Offense obviously doesn't stop moving. And I think a lot of other teams – the Celtics could eventually outlast their offense, and their offense would slow down. Can't really develop a Golden State, and then on the other end, it's like most of the other teams they faced defensively, they either had huge guys in the paint in Milwaukee, um, and then a couple defenders that were like pretty elite, making the ball hammers uncomfortable. But there were some weak spots, or Miami, which just has this like very persistent rotating cycling defense, where everybody's really tough and really smart. But a lot of them are undersized, and Golden State just like didn't really have anybody undersized. Except for like Jordan Poole was the only person they could really target, um, and they just they were they just showed so much length at all areas that really but really messed with Tatum. Had Brown going in and out of playing well, playing not well, um, and you know Golden State is just like they were the best of both worlds from what Boston saw in Miami and Milwaukee's defenses
0: so i want this is a this is a directed question anyone who's listened to me or followed me on twitter know like kind of knows my opinion on it um would you say that that how how would you say the celtics felt about their own well how did you feel about and how did the celtics feel about their specifically their defensive performance over the series
1: that's a good question i mean they they felt good about it better than i did i'm <laughs> shocking to say uh you know, I, I thought what was interesting was was it game yeah, game five is when you may switch up on curry a little bit. But I know that there was so much talk going into game four, going to game five about their drop coverage on curry. And I kind of I got the sense and from people I talked to around the team coming in you know, at the beginning of the series, I got the sense that their thought was we don't want Draymond getting in the short roll and tearing us apart if we're sending too much pressure on Curry. And that's why we're going to let Steph We're going to let Steph have what he's going to have, but we're going to try to generally stay in the form of drop, and just try to be as meticulous as we can there to make sure that we're not getting carved up with kickouts and swings and all that kind of stuff. And I thought on aggregate that was actually working pretty well. And even when Steph had some incredible games, like it just like their overall offense was good but not great. And Boston's offense was just terrible. And if Boston, Especially like if Boston's offense is better in Game 4, they could have pulled that one up and been up 3-1. I didn't think Ime Udoka was crazy for saying that they should be up 3-1 if it wasn't for their offense. I think he was crazy for saying at least up 3-1, which implies that they should have swept the series if their offense didn't suck. I don't think that was going to happen. But, yeah, they blew their chance in Game 4. And... I I thought that, you know, they got more aggressive in game five and that's when they started getting hit on the backside, but they still could have survived that if their offense wasn't so anemic. And then just game six, they were just done at that point. Like they were they were toast. And I think by the second half of game five, like you could see Tatum's legs were kinda of gone at that point too. Um and that was a big part of it. it was like Tatum Tatum I think just kind of ran out of gas halfway through the finals. So that's what really hurt them on both ends.
0: So, a, a lot to a, a lot to sort of get through there. I'm going to share uh part of a text I got from uh someone from uh, who with a West Conference team that not the Warriors. Uh it's like the difference for the casual observer is that the shot that is made in the pick and roll is because of that coverage and the one that is made after getting in scramble is quote because of a bad rotation. And I think that's the tension that that you're sort of describing. And this is something that, you know, I that a lot of people like I picked up on early in game five. It's like, hey, the, they were basically fine in the drop, and now they're, they're pressuring Steph more, Steph more, and the start of game five, everybody else was getting loose on, on the Warriors, and that seemed yeah. like a problem. Even I'll, I'll say this, though. Even with that switch in coverage, like Golden State's overall offense didn't really alter across any game of the series. It was basically like whatever Boston did defensively, it was not great, but fine. And that seems like it should be good enough. Or if you're a title level team, that should be enough that your offense should give you enough to to win four times in seven.
1: I mean, I just think for Boston, like their thing is so sure they're doing drop as their main coverage on Steph, but then they're still doing a ton of switching off ball stuff. They're trying to switch Steph whenever he's getting, you know, whenever he's relocating, when he's giving the ball up, stuff like that, and. They held up on that pretty fine. It was just that Golden State just pushes the possession into the last five of the shot clock. And I don't think Boston was very used to that. And so Boston Boston had some amazing defensive possessions. Like they force a lot of shock clock violations, like way more than I can remember seeing in any any point of the playoff run coming up until then. So it's a credit to like Golden State that Golden State's not the kind of team that when they're eight second of the eight seconds left on the clock, they just like slow down and clear out like Boston does. Like they keep trying to work it and keep trying to find something. And Boston did keep up with them, you know, enough times, but they were just a bunch of possessions where it's, like, at the very end it's, like, Tatum just, like, kind of losing stuff for a split second, and then it gets caught on the screen and stuff. gets shot off with two on the clock and stuff like that. Or, like, I mean, a lot of their games were lost because they got to the very end of the third quarter, Pool came in, and they just, like, they kind of let go of the rope a little bit, and Poole would kind of wiggle his way free, and he's so fucking fast, it's easy for him to find that, and then he would get a bunch of shots off and make a rain. Like, a lot of the time they lost, like, they lost two of those games basically in, like, a two-minute stretch in the L late-
0: yeah. Uh Frequent caller Abdul Rahman has uh, has got a question for us, so let's uh, let's hear what he's got to say, and I think we can we'll probably continue on this vein for a little longer. Hi.
2: Ooh, got a little echo there. Little echo. Yeah. I tell me, I use the. Speaker, so I don't have uh, that, but uh, are we sure that Boston really fine with their off their defense? Because I look at Golden State lineup and they go most of the time with defensive lineups. they have GP2 Wiggins with Kerry, most of the time Lonia and Green. They just didn't play with Paul and Kerry only 65 minutes and. Most of that came when Peyton preached in the game or Grant Williams. So, are we sure that they their defense is okay? Also, Golden State coaching staff doesn't attack draw, draw coverage well if they saw it first time and they don't use pain or snap action. So, if you run the the series like uh, eighty-two games, Golden State will continue to be better to attack that coverage. So are we sure?
0: I I think those are those are pretty good questions. Um, and, and thanks a lot, Abdurrahman. It's always a uh, good thought. Um, I, me saying that, they, like, this is my perspective, and then I'll get Jared. Me saying it was basically fine doesn't mean there are spots where they couldn't have been better. I think it's sort of a, um, in terms of, of triaging what the problems were. They weren't getting, you know, they weren't getting their heads kicked in on defense. Like maybe they lost Curry a few times. Maybe the their switches weren't as sharp as they had been other times. But against a team like Golden State, Golden State's good enough, they're gonna get buckets sometimes. And you know, by and was their defense perfect? No. Was it the was was it a major problem? Major is is tough, but like compared with the, the the problem of their offense and especially their offense, their bad offense leading to easy baskets for Golden State. I think that's like just by far the bigger problem.
1: Yeah, I think their half court defense did about as good of a job as anyone's done against the Warriors so far in the finals. Where's been? Where's <laughs> been in the finals a lot of times that I haven't seen them struggle. To, like I haven't seen them go through either like. Major droughts. Well, actually, I feel like that's you would know this better. I feel like the, like these playoff teams going through these massive droughts is like a, a more recent phenomenon, where like they just go through like a seven minute stretch and score like five points. Is that is that kind of like a newer thing? Or is oh, that I think I think, it's a,
0: I, I think it's a newer thing now that uh, now that playoff games aren't in the seventies. So yeah. that like that's a good point. Like, they, they've always gone through these droughts. It's just when it, like it would be like yeah, oh, they haven't scored in four minutes and have been outscored six nothing during that time. Whereas now it's much more like sixteen nothing. Yeah. Um I was, and the other thing I would say is that um I thought, especially in the first three games of the series, I thought Steph kinda wore down over the course of games a little bit. And I think the drop coverage forcing them like like uh Abdurrahman mentioned, like that uh sort of that rocket action, that, that handback that that Golden State actually started to get some good stuff on later in the series. But still, like that's that's like Steph is working hard to get the like he, you know you're sprinting, stopping, cutting back, sprinting again, and yeah, he's getting some shots on that. But like he was kind of you know you mentioned Tatum being out of legs, like I think those those kind of possessions would wear on Steph where he's basically running yeah. like a like a cone drill for twenty seconds to try to get a jumper off. Like you can do that every, like sometimes, but if that's your offense,
1: I'm okay with that. What I saw in those first few games is also like he had to play a lot more isolation than I think he's used to. And when he's like, when he has those isolation possessions against someone like Al Horford, when he tries to get into Horford's body, Horford's shoving him. And I think stuff like, like getting those hand checks and dealing with that and stuff that I think is probably going to wear him down more and more. Um, so I, I like the, the Celtics whole MO, their whole strategy over the course of series coming into the warrior series was we're going to be a little bit more conservative in our coverages and force, these, and force the main guys to try to beat us over and over again. We're going to be super disciplined on everything else, and it's gonna it's, it's gonna wear them down. And we did see, like, by the end of the series, most like, like Butler had his like injury and kind of fell off in the middle of the series and came back later in the series. But like Giannis wore down, uh, Durant wore down a bit, and I think that's what they were trying to do on Curry again, and it was working for a certain period of time. I just think like Curry just kind of he pushed through that wall really well. And like when we saw was it, Game Four is the one where the, we had the crunch time, right? Uh, that was the first crunch time.
0: Yeah, and, and that and that he, was and that was also like you know that was he was incandescent that game. Like you, yeah. like How much do you switch up your your strategy based on like a guy having? All right, that's that's one of the great finals performances of the last two decades. This and, is and me. It was. I'd be said tempted to say, okay, do it again.
1: Well, that's the thing is, so like they, they started switching more in the fourth quarter there. Like that's the big thing with Steph It's like, people focus on the drop coverage as like, they're only doing the drop coverage, but they, they were getting more up to touch or even switching late in games and they're in the drop coverage for most of the game. And we just haven't seen them get to the crunch time yet. And then they finally get to a crunch time and he's just like coming down court and then firing off from 30 feet, getting, you know, with like 23 on the clock. And so it's like, Those are the kind of plays where I don't think the Celtics really even got much of a chance to really do their coverage in those big crunch time moments because he was just so smart about just getting into a shot as quickly as humanly possible, and they were really creative. Like, I know the the caller, is a really good point, mentioned they weren't really doing any Spain stuff, but while they weren't doing Spain stuff, they were doing stuff in crunch time of those games where they would use multiple screens at the same time, and they would kind of – arrange the screens in different ways to confuse the Celtics so they don't know like where like where is the big supposed to be supporting under the screen who's supposed to be staying on Steph's body stuff like that so I give a ton of credit to Steve Kerr and their staff that they found some really creative ways to like design kind of weird looking pick and rolls to make it hard for the Celtics to figure out how their coverage should look it was Steph it's like if you're not in your coverage by the time the screen comes he's probably gonna he's probably gonna launch from 30 and you're screwed
0: yeah no, I agree with that. But I mean, again, we like think of how we're we're getting to talk about this, and it was you know fine until Golden State did this and that. And then you look at the other end, and it's just like these stretches where the Celtics' offense does nothing, and not just the I wouldn't even yeah. say did nothing. Like if they did, if the, you know, there were stretches where if they just came down, dribbled the clock out, and handed the ball to the ref, that would almost have been better than some of the stuff that they were doing.
1: It's kind of what they were doing.
0: No, I don't think so because I think that I think that you know the you know obviously the turnovers, but also uh, this was something that I, that you know Miami picked up on this too. I think like Tatum ends up on the ground a lot on his drives mm-hmm. to the basket, and Golden State was kind of okay. We're gonna make him go to his left. We're gonna get into his body. We're gonna shove him a little bit. He's gonna fall down. Maybe wave at the ref, and we'll go quickly the other way, make or miss.
1: Yeah, the I mean, go ahead, so. No, go ahead. So, like the big thing that they did that worked so well was with Tatum. They basically were like, "We're going to foul you on your like right when you're starting to gather, and then we're going to make sure we don't foul you after that." And so he's not going to get the foul call that way in the finals. And so it worked so well that they could hand check him, they could hit him in the arm, stuff like that. Right when he's like about to make this gather, then once he makes his gather, hands are out, and either like one guy's swiping at the ball, or you're just getting tall on him, and so he's not getting to the free throw line that way. And he was having trouble figuring out how do I draw fouls then if they're not if they're going to be that smart about it.
0: I mean, I would. Uh, I think a more neutral way to state that was they they knew to be very physical with him on the gather.
1: Oh sure, then, sure. <laughs> that
0: was that was it. that was perhaps it. that was probably too Celtic uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, well, you know, when I when I say foul, I mean that just that like they like they do you know, hand check. We can call it hand check. But it's like yeah. they were like they really hand checking in a way that like you, they know is not that like should be a foul, but they know like when you're allowed to do it. And the Celtics do the same thing. Um, it's just that like the the Warriors don't really have drivers that are like Tatum or Brown, where they're trying to get the defensive collapse on them so they can rip through in that way.
0: Yeah. And I think that was, so that brings me to, uh, I guess, another, uh, the, you know, something I asked earlier about, um, you know, how they felt about it. You you talked about the Celtics, like, main playmakers, you know, all being too young. And I'm wondering, like, like you know, we can, we can make the Jason Tatum is still 19 jokes a lot, but, I mean, Tatum especially is a very experienced player for his calendar age. So at, at some point... Do you worry, do you wonder about um not having the variety in his game needed to to deal with what seemed like a like a a pretty straightforward strategy that he didn't have a counter to
1: Yeah, I mean he throughout the postseason I th- maybe it was just an inconsistency thing because he would have these moments earlier in the, in the, in the uh, conference finals and the semifinals where he's like, okay, he does have it. he is capable of doing it, he's just inconsistent." The the finals was the first time where he just ever quite got there. And so, you know, honestly, I thought game one was the best moment for him because even though he shot poorly, he had those 13 assists and he was just kind of, he was, you know, players always say take what the coverage gives them. And it's the most frustrating quote, but he actually really did take what the coverage gave him and found ways to pass out of it really well. So I thought that was a sign of like really good maturity and showing that he was ready for the stage. And it just never quite came at that same level the rest of the series. So. I'm looking at it as it's year five for him. I know he's been contending his entire career, but I don't think, I don't really expect guys to show, like, to show, like, full command in the playoff series until year seven, usually. You would know better than I do, but, like, I kind of feel like year seven is usually the sweet spot for that. And so I think he's still got some time for it. Jalen's still got another year before I really expected out of him. You know, Smart is at that point now. And, you know, Smart, I thought had a had a, I guess, a good series, but it was definitely disappointing that, he never really seemed to be in command of a pick and roll game in the finals. And that kind of came and went throughout the postseason. I do think some of that was just like they, they lost they, like in the, the challenge of the postseason tested the Celtics connectivity on offense in a way that they experienced in December and early January, and they kind of figured out over the course of February through April. And it really got it got really pushed to its limits, and they just kind of barely held it together. And then the finals it just kind of fell apart, and we really saw that in the last few games. And so I do have my my questions now about like is another year of Smart being the pseudo point guard is that going to is that continuity going to make this better or did they kind of like peak in that strategy and they're going to really just have to count on Tatum and Brown to become better playmakers and game controllers.
0: I, one more question on this, and then I think that's a good segue into kind of the the, the go forward piece of it. Um, I It's interesting, like I, I think there's been a split of opinion. I might be completely in the minority here about starting game one. I you know, like understanding to take what the defense gives you and not wanting to you know force too much. I thought even starting in game one, Tatum was way too like overcorrected in that direction. And really, never found a rhythm the entire series. Like game one, my impression of of him was a lot like he like had a weird time getting his feet right on the catch a lot. Like there were a lot of yep. times where like one of the big differences that in general between Tatum and a lot of kind of the more ball dominant wing type players, whether it's whether it's you know uh, James Harden or or Luca's actually got better about this over screws gone is he's been a guy who, all right, I'm six, nine and with a high release point and you're too late on the closeout. So I'm shooting. And, uh, and that's something he did a lot, uh, in the Milwaukee series, got away from, I want to say a little in the Miami series, and then just really struggled with that. I thought in the, in the golden state series, I don't know if it was like Wiggins, like some of it was probably credit to Wiggins for the, the coverage job on him. Um, but at the same time, it seemed like starting in game one, he just didn't, he, he wasn't in that sort of, Oh, I'm catching and shooting here, or I'm catching and driving, or I'm just, I'm just playing off the catch flow that he'd had, you know, throughout the season and certainly through the first two rounds of the playoffs.
1: Yeah. I think he just needs to continue to bulk up and get more horse rank because, you just saw in the playoffs that like, you would get into a series and you just could not figure out how to get to the spots that were there from the regular season. And I think that's a huge part of the growth process for these main stars uh, over the course of their careers is just like understanding how can you continue to get to the stuff that's easy in the regular season when you get to the playoffs where they're going to be a lot more physical and they're going to figure you out over the course of the series and make corrections that a team just can't do during the regular season. So he has always had to figure that part out. Um with the Golden State series, I thought his shooting was pretty fine. Like after that game, I thought his shooting was pretty fine on the perimeter. I felt like he was he was taking those shots with the contest in his face and rhythm pretty decently. And I think he shot like close to forty percent three, if I'm not mistaken. So I thought that was fine. It was just the drives. Like he could not get to his pickup points with with any sense of comfort. And what was interesting was Miami and Milwaukee they would because they were smaller, they would basically try to gap him higher and force them to pick the ball up around twenty feet. And then the whole issue for him was like he couldn't he wants to pick the ball up right when he's getting to the paint so that he can keep two feet going in the paint and get right up to the rim. And then those teams are forcing him into like uncomfortable floaters and stuff like that. So he had to figure out where to go. With Golden State, they would let him get to his gather point generally where he wanted to, but then he would he would face like a wall that just could not get over. And so That just completely messed up his rhythm with his two-point game, and his mid-range game was was not comfortable. I don't know why his mid-range game was such a struggle, but he was not getting to those little, like, snatch-back 15-foot pull-ups. He couldn't do his turnarounds because Wiggins is too long. And and I think you were right, though, that, like, a big part of it was just that Wiggins' defense was just incredible. Like, Wiggins was, like, he was on his hip no matter where he went kept an arm out so he couldn't really shoot comfortably, didn't really foul. Like it was just like a it was pretty much a perfect defensive performance from Wiggins. And then I think the other thing is Draymond is uh, this isn't shocking, he was the best defender that he saw the entire postseason run, where Draymond was just incredible at just flying in and just blowing him up every single time that he wanted to pick the ball up and rhythm. Like and Draymond was amazing with that with both him and Jalen. It's just so physical, so fast. He just flies in at the right spots. He predicts, like, there was this one play he had, I think it was on Tatum, where Tatum was going one-on-one with him at the break at full speed, and Draymond's, like, backpedaling. And he sees that Tatum's going to his gather, and Draymond, like, jumps to the side and kind of, like, slams his feet into the ground on purpose to bait Tatum into a a Eurostep and then just steps right into the Eurostep, and Tatum just, like, spins around and throws it over his head helplessly. And it was just, like, stuff like that. It was just, like, Draymond was just at a complete different level that Tatum's ever seen in his life before.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's... I, I think a lot of that's fair. Um, so, moving forward, um, I think that the... Like, the, you you asked one question already, like, rhetorically. Like, can they, you know, like, smart as the de facto point guard? And I think the other question is, um, like, the... Preface this by saying this is a team that goes into the next season having to be one of the favorites in the conference. But that's one big – how much of this year can they get from Al Horford again?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the real concern is Horford was just so good. Um, I, mean, I, I thought Horford wasn't playing that great in the first two months of the season. Uh, I might have been a little late on appreciating his defense, but I did think his defense was getting a little bit overrated earlier in the season, but it really, really came together when they finally started putting him more in the pick and rolls. Uh, but the shooting they were getting from him in the, in the playoffs was huge because he was shooting terribly early on. And maybe that comes back around later. Uh, but his defensive energy was so crucial for them in the postseason. One. Like, he would, he, he would just have so many plays where he was just locked in, taking guys in ISO. They would get a rebound, and he would fly in transition. Like, he was a big part of keeping their energy going in the finals when everybody else was kind of waning. And it's just like, you don't know. Like, his whole thing was he, he sat out the second half of the season in OKC, spent a ton of time recharging just so he could make this run. And you just don't know if he's going to be able to do that again now that he's playing deep in the dune. So, you know, Horford obviously believes that he can do it. I assume they can, they can at least get one more good year out of him, But they had, they had to get, like, the best that he could possibly deliver for them to be able to make it that far. So that's a huge concern because if he's not playing well, uh, they have like a, they have a huge hole missing for them that maybe Grant Williams can step in and take over a little bit and take another good stride in his in his performance. But I, I'd be amazed if they got back to the finals if everybody else is the same and Horford kind of fades from where he was last year.
0: Sure. So let that that's uh um you know the, the, it's hard to to avoid a conclusion in the final they were a guy guy and a half short. Um, you know, Will, Grant Williams uh, didn't didn't have a great finals. Uh, and Pritchard like certainly didn't didn 't either i wouldn't say and they they no. wisely wisely decided that they there was not a good Daniel Tice series, so they were basically down to about six six and a half guys they could rely on by the end of the series and that, that while that 's something that that can happen and frequently does over a playoff series, I sort of feel like uh if you are trying to get back and win, that needs to be up closer to eight, you know eight, and then maybe you need to shrink your rotation, you go to seven. Not not uh, six, and then oh, Derek White isn't making shots anymore, so we're down to five.
1: <laughs> and White's defense fell off at the end too. That was the shocking part.
0: I mean, did his defense fall off, or is just is it Steph better? I, mean, I think there's like at a certain point, like I I thought to, like I thought there was a lot of situations like there's you know there, there's the uh, you know people had with the the couple times that Horford got switched out into Kirby, like that's good defense how Horford played. It's just Steph
1: better. So, yeah, but, but there were some plays like in the fourth quarter where white, I think what there was this one play where white was guarding clay one-on-one and clay just completely beat him and white just like turned turns so, like it was like he had no chance And I was like, isn't Derek white like the best at defending those situations? So I, I think, I don't know what was going on there because he didn't look tired. It just like, he was just, his, he looked like mentally a step slow on defense in a way he hadn't been all playoff runs. So I don't know what happened there.
0: Okay, so I guess my my question is, um, you know, the, the, they didn't didn't have a lot of things to do in the draft, and I don't think that you know J D. Everson's a like a, a very athletic, but I think that expecting anything in the playoffs from from a guy, you know, of that profile drafted where he was uh, in, in like the 2023 playoffs is uh, kind of kidding yourself. Yeah. So what uh, in the next you know week ten days like? What do you think they're looking to do to, to um, you know, to add that you know a couple extra players? Is it is there internal improvement from an Aaron Neesmith kind of projected, or are they looking to go outside?
1: I, they're saying that, but like, come on, nobody's expecting Aaron Niesmith to be a part of the uh, playoff rotation next year. And even if he is, it's possible uh, that he puts it together. They're not. I don't think they're going to trust him because, so like, look at what happened with Peyton Pritchard. But like, Pritchard got to the finals. And he couldn't get the ball anywhere. So they're, they like, I think they're, they're looking at this as we need to get another veteran or two that we can trust on the ball. And they, you know, they, so they traded away Josh Richardson last year instead of using the trade exception to get Derek White. They could have used the trade exception if they really wanted to. They did not. Their, their thinking was Richardson's going to, Richardson's not going to be able to get the minutes that he wants if we bring in Derek White because we're going to prioritize Derek White. And then also, They want to keep that trade exception so they can use it next offseason. And when they were making the white trade, I think they were thinking, we're going to be competitive and have a chance to make it out of the first round if we make this move, not that we're going to have a chance to win a championship. And so I think in hindsight, they would have preferred to keep Richardson at that point because Richardson would have been that missing piece. And I think he would have been pretty ideal for what they were missing, where he could shoot the ball, he could do some playmaking, he could keep the tempo going. So like you know, Richardson would have been ideal for them um and so i think they're looking at that and they're thinking like we need to make sure we have that better in depth and so you know they wanted to get gary harris they were hoping that he would get bought out and that they could get him Oof. um but obviously it didn't happen so also i'm not um, sure that i'm
0: not sure that's the answer
1: yeah and you know so, A- so aim I, higher I, yeah well gary harris on the buyout market would have been phenomenal right like that would have been great at the time i don't think that's what they're looking for right now necessarily sure. okay. um and, and well, their, their problem is that Gary Harris might be out of their price range because they only have $6.7 million with the taxpayer MLE, and then they can't really do sign-in trades. Like they're too close to the tax apron to do any sign-in trade, really, without sending out other salary. But there's nobody on the scene they want to send out unless they're making a big improvement to the starting lineup. So I, I think that if they get somebody with the tax MLE who is a probably a better guard playmaker than Peyton Pritchard. Um Peyton Pritchard's a two-guard. He has not progressed as a point guard yet. He has not been able to run, pick, and roll and get into the defense and make plays. And they'll, they'll try to get him to continue to do that. But it looks like he's an off-ball shooter. Um, and you're going to need somebody else that can really make those reads or can just get buckets straight up. And so, you know, they, they were interested in Jordan Clarkson at the deadline last year. They opted to go with Derek White. I think that obviously was the right call. Um, but maybe they go for Clarkson again and they use their training exception to get him off of whatever fire sale Danny Age pulls off, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go for a player like that.
0: Are there any other kind of names that either that you're kind of hearing kicked around or players that like, you know, in canvassing the league seem like they might be available and make sense? Ah.
1: That's the thing is like on the free agent market for the tax Emily, I've been really struggling to, to like figure out who is somebody that really fits the bill for them that I think would actually be in their price range. Um, and that's at least like on that playmaking aspect there, because there's like there's bigger wings that can shoot the ball, like Otto Porter or you know Danilo Gallinari and T.J. Warren. You know those are the names that keep getting thrown out. Gary Harris. Yeah, Otto Porter, Porter would be great. Yeah, Otto Porter would be great. Um, is Otto Porter worth more than six and a half million? I think so. Based on mm-hmm. the way he's playing in the finals, I want to say so.
0: I mean the, the the thing with with him is is you're not he's not a guy you're getting expecting that for 82 games you're expecting to manage him for 82 games so you can get that for a series or two in the playoffs
1: yeah yeah so i mean for guards honestly like there's there's you could go with uh, sorry the, the uh sirens in the background are drowning me out but um you know there's like a Delon right or you could go like the you know ricky rubio john wall kind of route i'm not even sure when Rubio's really going to be ready to go but like you know, you could get basically someone who you would don't expect to be able to play any defense, but they're at least a creative on-ball player, um, or you could get a guy like Wright who just like gives you a little bit of everything from the um, from the guard position, except like anything really useful. Um, and maybe that's what they need. Like maybe they just need another guy out there who just is competent enough to fit in their system. Uh, so but I who, who not that last name? Sorry, that you, you, oh, you cut Wright. out
0: for a second Delon there. I, I didn't catch the name of the last guy you Delon mentioned. The one right. Oh, Delon Wright. Okay, yeah, um, that's an interesting thought. So, I mean, I the interesting thing is is that there's going to be someone uh, left without a chair in free agency, and so maybe you know, wish casting. Who might that be?
1: I do not know what the word wish casting is.
0: It's, it's so it's like uh, you know, it's 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 a triumph of hope over expectations, or. Uh, hope over kind of uh, rational thought or expectation.
1: <laughs> Which, and by the way, I should also mention. I know Kevin Herter is someone that the Celtics have always been interested in, and he's someone that they can use their trade exception to, to snag. So that I could see that happening. Um, I guess they could do a first round pick, and I think Atlanta would probably take that. Are they willing to sacrifice another first round pick so that with assuming unless Peyton Pritchard really starts to pan out they basically wouldn't really have anyone left on rookie contracts after next season. That is a core part of their rotation. So you'd imagine they want another first round pick, but Kurt, you know, if they're willing to sacrifice the first, again, I could see Herter making a lot of sense for them. Like he's a good perimeter. He's a good shooter who has playmaking capability. He's big enough that he could defend a few positions for them. Not great, but like he can. Uh, So that could be, that could be a good answer for them.
0: For sure. Um, Beyond that, like, what is your – this is a team that, that makes the first run, and this isn't really Boston's first run, but certainly the deepest they've gotten. Um, a lot of times, like, I think we saw it with, with Phoenix this year. I mean, Boston's going to come back hungry. Uh, you saw it with Atlanta this year. We, we've we seen it with Miami a year ago. A team that makes kind of their, their deep run, It's almost seems like they frequently – have to, like, don't have to, but they end up taking a step back the next year um, and before maybe progressing on. Certainly Milwaukee, even even before that. I mean, conference finals, 19, early exit, 20, championship, 21. Um, what are you, you know, anticipating f- for them to look like next year? Just in terms of, of both, in terms of regular season performance and then, like, reasonable playoff expectations.
1: So I, I would imagine that the twenty. 20- the 2021 season was their setback to like, to regroup reconfigure around their two stars. And then they found the formula that worked around their two stars and they got to the finals. So I assume that they're, they're past the Valley and they're on their upswing and they're going to, and you know, I mean, obviously it's like they've already upswung as much as possible at this point. It's just like, are they going to, are they going to plateau out as just sort of a champion or are they going to actually win the championship? And we have to keep in mind: as, as great of a team as the Celtics were in the playoffs this year, they did face Milwaukee without Chris Middleton. They did face Miami with Jimmy Butler being hurt from like half that series, and Kyle Lowry being hurt for the first half of that series. Tyler Hero being out for most of that series. Like they got a lot of injury luck that didn't quite knock their guys out in the same way, um, even if their guys are plenty banged up as well. Um, so you know they got they got, and, and most teams that make the championship their injury luck plays a big part of their path. So that happens every year. Um, but it also means that that's, that's why I like the same teams besides golden state don't make the finals every single year is because it's, that's a huge factor there. So, um, you know, I, I think that they're going to want to keep this, keep this team in a pretty similar shape as it was last year. Uh, there is room to tweak in their starting lineup. Um, I think Marcus smart being DPOI, that's like enough to secure him permanently. Because um, I don't think there's ever been a st- uh, There's ever – I've never gotten the impression that there was a moment where Marcus Smart was an absolute untouchable player for this team. It's never been that way. And him being a DPOI last year, him – you know, we saw it like in game six of the finals where like the Celtics were done early in that game and he willed them back into it and kept them going. And he's, he's the guy that does that for them. And so they've always struggled to develop uh, an offensive chemistry to fit him. But he has always been the backbone in the will and the drive of that team, and I I do think that they would be a mediocre team without him. And I think his intrinsic value is still huge, and I think he continues to show that. Uh, but they have to they have to figure out a way to like kind of more organic get him like more efficiently integrated with the rest of the offense if they're going to actually win the championship. And I I think he can continue to improve and grow. And Jason and Jalen can continue to improve and grow as playmakers on their own to help with that process. Um, So like, I think that they're right there. I I don't think they're going to take a huge uh, step back, but you know, Val Horford isn't good next year, then I don't think they're going to be good enough. So maybe they want to make a move to deal with that.
0: Sure. Um, So last, I mean, I, I, we can, we can probably wrap here unless people have in the audience have, have more questions for Jared. Um, just in terms of, I think we can, it's fair to say Milwaukee is right at the top of any sort of, you know, healthy Milwaukee is still at the top of any sort of contender list in the East. Would you put Boston on that level? And if so, who else is there with them? I mean, there's, there's Philly, there's, uh, you know, Brooklyn is, is, is a giant question mark at this point across multiple dimensions. Um, Miami um someone else sweet you know Toronto or Chicago or someone else taking a step forward like who would you put Boston on that level, and if so, who else is there?
1: Yeah, I think a healthy is on one a. I would put the Celtics right on the like they're they're right on that edge between one a and one b, and I would probably lean them towards one a as their best. so I think that I think Milwaukee would be the favorite I think they're probably the best team in the NBA if they're fully healthy, considering how well they played even without Middleton. So, yeah, Milwaukee's still my one A, and then I would say, you know, Miami is probably a one B. They're they're kind of right on that border. Um, and then after that, I wouldn't put Philly on the same tier as Miami yet, uh, even if Harden's playing like it's absolute best. I wouldn't do that. So, although I did love the Melton trade, so maybe that does make any difference for them. So, yeah, I, I have those. I think everyone else is on a tier below those teams. But what
0: about you? Uh, I think that's I think you, I'm I was not a believer in Miami at any point this season, really. Okay. So I uh, it's it's sort of like uh it's yeah, Milwaukee, Boston, Brooklyn maybe, um uh, <laughs> and and Philly maybe, and then everyone else is sort of uh is sort of behind that. Like Miami's a team that like in in some ways they're going to be so good. That they're going to outperform their level because of Spo, but then that's going to get them to a point where, like between like you know, quote unquote, Heat Heat Culture and Spo, they're going to get the absolute max out of their team. But then they're going to get to a point where, oh wait, the max is not. You know, I I, there, I feel like Boston contributed a lot to that, even being a seven game series.
1: <laughs> that's the, that is the story of the Celtics season. Yeah, they the Celtics contribute to their own downfall as much as their own success. Um, and you know, and you know, that's a great point though about Boston's future is the Celtics. They just got on this crazy heater in February where they just didn't really do anything wrong. They like so they they fell apart and then they started to rebuild out of the ashes of that. And then they got a super easy schedule and they just crushed it. And so their credit. Once the schedule started getting harder, they were on such a roll that they steamrolled through that whole thing. They barely showed any flaws the whole time. And then the flaws started to really pop out once they started facing great teams in the second and third round. And so the question, you know, a big, a big point that they were making that like Doka and Stevens and some of the other players were making when the season ended was we made it so hard on ourselves to get to this point And we built these good habits so late in the year, like we need to come out swinging next year. We need to be a great team. And they have to do like what the like what the Celtics did in 2009 after they won the title. They came out and they like they were like twenty three and two in the first, like, to start the season in two thousand nine whatever that crazy number was and they all th- they all thought that they were better the next season oh9 but then ag screwed up his knee and that's why they didn't win the championship that year but they thought they were way better in the next year so the celtics have to do that same thing that team had kevin garnett and paul pierce and ray allen on it this team does not have that so you know maybe smart and horford can be the drivers of that culture and maybe tatum and brown can be it's, that's very possible but i know. Like one thing that's making the rounds right now is Jalen Brown. The last tweet he liked was someone tweeting Celtics fans don't appreciate Jalen Brown. So you know it's like JV's up for extension talks right now. He's obviously a max player. He's underpaid right now. If he doesn't get a max extension right now, I wonder how that's going to affect him going into next year.
0: Ah, uh, social media sleuthing, my favorite thing.
1: <laughs> hey,
0: it's not about sleuthing. Did you
1: like the tweet? It makes it very easy. Hey, <laughs> just I mean you know
0: it's it, I mean oh, it you know. Hey, yeah, the guy says sure, something nice sure. about me. I like it. Uh, or <laughs> you can be like, "Oh, he's sending a message by hitting that like and subscribe button."
1: Um, I guess I have a question for you. Is actually a couple questions. First off, Derek White. What is your assessment of him? Where is he going to show up on your player tiers next year? <laughs> well, with, with margin of error being twenty five spots, so you're not pitting yourself down.
0: Well, much. no, it's because I don't do I don't do I don't do rankings. I do tiers.
1: Um, exactly.
0: I think. Hmm, He's on the list, I think, probably in. He was threatening tier four, but I think he probably ends up in tier five. Okay. Um, the, I think a number of Celtics helped themselves. Um, uh, I mean, it's not like I needed more to think highly of Robert Williams, but like on one leg, he was still an absolute monster.
1: <laughs> he was great.
0: Uh, a coworker of mine is just texted me to, to say, uh, not enough Rob Williams. So, Ali, there there we're talking about rob williams now
1: um, that's a good point we we let's take another minute to talk about him but go, sorry go ahead
0: no so i think i mean i think the interesting the, the other interesting one is tatum i think like for up through the boston series looks like he was ready to take that step into the top you know top 10 is a weird number because the, the way the league is right now there's depending on what you think about You know,
1: it's like 13 top 10 players.
0: No, 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 no. There's less than, I mean, depending on what you think of like Kawhi or LeBron, there's like, in my mind, like six to eight kind of top tier players. And Tatum was maybe threatening that. And after the final, after really the heat series and the finals, you kind of have to say, no, he's still got one more step to get to be on the level of, uh, you know, not just not to be on the, not just Steph Giannis, Jokic level. But on the like Luca level, yeah. you know? and I think that's I don't, I, I don't think that's controversial,
1: maybe. So it was, he, I mean, it
0: will be, it will be controversial, but I,
1: but I, I no, I, I totally agree with you. Like, yeah. he's not, he well, I don't know about Luca just because like we haven't seen Luca get to that stage yet. And like Tatum was pretty great up until the final stage, or at least like the final and a half ish stage, yeah. but um. Did, so like would Tatum be 1B do you think or is he like still in the twos the twos
0: spoilers spoilers
1: okay I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. Well, where 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 was he entering last season for you
0: I think I had him I either had him at the bottom if I want to remember I had him either at the bottom of tier 2 or top of tier 3
1: last year oh wow okay so, so that would be a huge leap okay so
0: I mean, that, I mean that and that's the range of like top you know 18-ish players so
1: okay so, so if you if you redid the tiers at the end of the regular season where do you think you would have had him
0: I probably would have had had him, you know. Like, but D one B, uh, no,
1: no, okay,
0: no. Like that's you know we're talking about like six, seven, eight guys
1: to get yeah, to that okay. level.
0: So you know the start of the playoffs would have had him. If I was doing rankings, which I'm not, would have had him in the low teens. And now I'd probably have him a little bit higher than that, but not all the way to like you are a championship contender because this guy is on your team.
1: Okay, so so overall, he did he did improve yes. your ranking in the postseason, but not as high as you would have expected.
0: Uh, I mean, not as high as it could have been. And that happens. As like, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, DeAndre Ayton was kind of the same last year. He was pushing higher, and then he was great, uh, basically up through two games of the finals, and then it's like, oh, wait, those are some of the problems with DeAndre Ayton, and that's why we can't have him higher than that. Yeah, um, and so, um, but yeah, um, I mean Rob Williams like was like if he could stay healthy, that's that's always it's, it's been a big if with him basically since he got in the league, and it's even a bigger one just because I think we've seen the upside there, the 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 impact he can have. Uh, yeah, you know, defensively, and
1: we, and you know I forgot to even talk about this, but Celtics free agency moves—they're going to have to get another center. Um, and maybe they keep Tice, but I feel like they just are going to want to find another center that that they can just count on in the postseason a little bit more because Tice was pretty solid early on, but as the postseason went on, he just like he just wasn't there.
0: I mean, I I don't um, I'm not sure I would agree with that just because I think if you're going in and it's like okay, we got Horford and Williams, and do we want to like okay, if we find a guy who is going to take like the minimum who can be serviceable. Great. But I don't think I'd be interested in using like exceptions or, or MLEs or stuff like that. Trade exceptions or MLEs to, to shore up that position further. Just cause I don't think the guys you get on that level are, are, are very, would be very situational. It's like, are we playing, are we playing Philly? No, then he doesn't play. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> like, I don't. So I think like, you know, looking at, you know, more playmaking, maybe one more win shooter would be the places that I'd be looking more.
1: One more wing shooter has been the, the Celtics wish list for years now. And yeah. it hasn't quite happened yet.
0: I mean, I think that's to some degree that's, that's, that's been, that's a function of what, what was uh, Danny Ainge's, uh, you know, drafting philosophy for a while. It's, it's, you know, you talk about execs having a type and everyone's like, okay, well, Orlando's going to, going to, except for, except for this year, going to draft the, the long arm guy. Cause that's what they, and it's not, it's not like Ben Caro is not long armed, but you know, Danny Ainge has always gone for, like, with the extreme, like, R.J. Hunter. They've all been, like, athletic and strong. Yeah. You know, even going, even the smaller, like, even going back to, like, Terry Rozier, like, you know, they're sturdy, strong athletes, which, you know, okay, Aaron Neesmith was that and supposed to be a shooter, but it hasn't really panned out yet, but it's not necessarily selecting for shooting skill, per se.
1: No, his, their thing, and credit to them, it's worked fairly well, is their thing has always been, we're gonna identify really good athletes that can, that can dribble the ball, and aren't shooting yet, but we think are gonna turn into shooters. And like, Rozier, Brown, Tatum, like, those were great bets that worked really well. Grant Williams has turned into a really good shooter, and he didn't shoot the ball really at all in college. Like, they've made some really good gambles on that. But then, like, the one time they take a shooting specialist, he has, like, a, a, like a, uh, not a mental, like, like like a confidence crisis in shot to the point that he's saying like, I need to take a break because I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, so hopefully he figures it out because the guy's got a lot of talent. Uh, and, he does. Um, and he brings a lot of the athleticism that they're looking for, that they really need right now.
0: Well, there we go. Um, well, Jared, uh, you know, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Obviously the athletic go subscribe, but uh, what do you, what, what do you have coming up over the next couple of weeks?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, We've got a couple features coming in the next week or so heading into summer league. Uh, one about one of my favorite players on the team because he's a ridiculous goofball. I'm sure that'll uh, probably help people hear who that is. We're talking about, obviously, Peyton Pritchard. No, not really. Um, and then uh, another piece coming on kind of just more on what made the Celtics work this season um, that hopefully people will still want to read even if they didn't actually win the championship. So definitely find that on the Athletic, and you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram. I even made a TikTok, regrettably, just oh, boy, for no. film stuff. Oh no! I made I made a TikTok to do one film thing during the finals, and then never had time to do it again. So when I'm doing more film stuff, I will use a TikTok for that. Uh, please no, tell me now. To be clear, to be clear, the audience there, I have to do
0: it. No, to be clear, you you're you're doing basketball film stuff. You are not. You're not doing the Jared Weiss dance craze. I just want
1: <laughs> I'll work in a couple dance moves no, just to make everyone no.
0: happy. The report. Everyone report. Ban.
1: <laughs> uh, so if you ever see me do a dance move on there, you can flag it for spam. I'll, yeah. I'll be obliged.
0: Uh, well, th- thank you. Thank you for coming on during what is a busy time for beat reporters in the offseason. Uh, I am back tomorrow with uh, with our colleague, uh, Fred Katz, to talk about the Knicks. Hey! Uh, the Knicks and the broader in general, since Fred has, uh, has experience with many of the, the uh, relevant players, including one, Russell Westbrook. Uh, so we will be back tomorrow to talk about that. Uh, see you then. Thanks for listening, folks.